Welcome, everybody. It's one of your hosts for this Parisi podcast, Coach Casey Lee. I'm Parisi's Director of Coaching and Education. I'm super excited to be joined by one of our Parisi owners and now reoccurring guest. She was guest, I believe, number three on the Parisi podcast. I'm joined by Catalin Rodriguez-Ogren. Again, she is the owner of our Chicago Parisi affiliate. Uh, She's one of the most high-achieving owners we have in our Parisi network. And Catalin and I have an amazing conversation talking about challenges, pitfalls, I'm not sure what word you want to use to describe them, but challenges or pitfalls we face as coaches or have faced as coaches in this industry and some strategies on how to overcome them and strategies to avoid them. If there's something that you haven't personally experienced, you can take our hindsight wisdom and you can apply that to yourself and not go through the same struggles that we had. So it's a really cool episode. Callan does a phenomenal job of sharing her insights as a woman in the industry, as a business owner in the industry, and a long-time industry just um, enthusiast as well as all the different things. I'm not going to go into too much detail because Catalan does an amazing introduction on herself um, where you're going to hear just what Catalan has done for the industry in general and it's it's phenomenal. So super excited to have Catalan on the episode this week and I will let uh, the intro music take over and you're going to hear the, the sounds of Catalan and myself here shortly. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Parisi Podcast. I am super excited to be joined by the first reoccurring guest on the Parisi Podcast. You probably oh, heard this. Yes, yes, that's how you're being introduced, the reoccurring guest. I believe this was guest number two or three. I think you were right after One with Eric Steve Cressy. Leo? Yes, you were right after Eric Cressy, I believe. Um, so maybe you were number three. Um, we are joined by Catalin and I'm going to butcher your last name, Catalin, also on what you say it, but Catalin Rodriguez Ro- oh. Ogren. Rodriguez Ogren. Yep. Boom. Core. And, <laughs> and uh, she's the owner of our Parisi in Chicago. And I'm yep. going to let Catalin do a much better job introducing her than I just did. Um, Catalin, take it away. So I own a facility in the West Loop in Chicago, which is basically kind of in part of our downtown area. So it's six blocks from the Sears Tower. It's called the Willis Tower now. I still call it the Sears Tower. Um, so we have a facility that here that is 8,500 square feet. I've been in this neighborhood for over 20 years. And I added the Parisi Speed School to my business about six years ago, but actually started to prepare for that. Um, development and, and, and advancement in my career about eight years ago. So um, it was the best thing I ever did. And I could not be happier. But my original business model was a mixed martial arts training and fitness center. I was actually the first boutique gym to open up in the city of Chicago uh, back in 2000. And my original vision as a career martial artist was to provide an opportunity for people to train in a multitude of martial arts under one roof and fitness without judgment. Because in previous decades, like all the way through the eh, maybe mid-90s, it started to change. It was not really normal for a martial artist to study more than one style. Then there was the whole idea that 
uh, fitness and strength training and cross training was not really well received by the martial arts community. A lot of it being lack of education uh, in that community, as well as kind of a closed-minded perspective on what could make you a better martial artist. And I actually made my transition into integrating the two early in the 90s because I had sold an article to a magazine called Cross Training for Martial Arts. And it was published in a magazine called Inside Kung Fu. And then I, that part of my career started to kind of expand. And before I knew it, I was writing all sorts of cross training, athletic training articles for all the martial arts magazines. And then finally kind of came to this aha moment where I was like, you know what? I want to open up a facility that kind of houses all these things I believe in and do. And that is what the original POW gym was. So we had, you know, what I would consider kind of functional strength training. Most of it was actually, if you read Bill's book now, the fascia stuff, it was a lot of the fascia. So basically adding resistance tubing to martial arts-based movements. Um, plus, you know, you add things like squats, lunges, step-ups were kind of our bread and butter at the time, because those are pretty easy things that you can add into a class environment without having a lot of equipment. And, uh, God, when we opened, we had Kung Fu, we had Taekwondo, kickboxing, Muay Thai, boxing, MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, Krav Maga, and then a whole fitness track. And that was like all at one school. And the whole idea was that you could train in any combination of any of them that you wanted. So I looked at it like learning multiple instruments or training in multiple, multiple dance modalities. So that's where I started. And then over time, I knew I wanted more of the performance. And like a lot of people did tons of self-education through conferences. And maybe about 12 years in, to my business, you know, cross the paths of Bill Parisi and at a conference. Can't remember if it was performed better. I don't really remember which one. And then they had a booth at Ursa. It was like, all right, I'm ready. And that was kind of like the moment I knew I was going to change my business model a little bit. And I was actually looking to get really out of the MMA and fighting space. I was just not enjoying it anymore. So that's kind of my start. And now I'm here with a combat sports and performance training center and a Parisi speed school all under the same roof. You definitely did a better introduction than I did. I barely, well, I your last name and you came in and, and just basically was like, boom, here's what, okay. I, you know, I didn't even know, uh, you know, I've known you for a couple of years now, but I didn't know that element of POW and like the historical element of POW. And I think that's really cool. Um, and I'm kind of surprised that, early martial arts was like you you specialize like it i feel like that oh. doesn't seem like like it just seems like in martial arts and in, in, in the disciplines of martial arts it's encouraged to be very well-rounded in a multitude of skills mm. that's yeah not at all that's not the case not yeah, at wow. all wow wow no. traditional martial new. arts has not traditionally been open-minded traditional martial arts has traditionally been very narrow-minded it's very over they're over loyalists, hmm. you know, has that changed with the, the rise art. of MMA? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think, um, you know, your background and what you just shared there is, is going to be 
really good for today's topic. So cool. Kat and I are going to be talking about pitfalls today. And for those listening, you're going to get two very different perspectives because Catalin, as you just heard, gym owner, facility owner, operator for 20, 20 plus years now um, mm-hmm. in a variety of different ways. And I think, you know, and when, when I look at facilities and as someone who doesn't own a facility, um, I think it's probably easier to open a facility than it is to keep a facility running, uh, let alone into lease two, three, four, five plus. Um, and mm-hmm. anytime you've done something for multiple decades, whether it's in a profession, um, as an operator, an owner of that profession, whatever it might be, anytime you can say decades, I think you bring a very unique perspective. So I'm really excited that Kat was able to thank you pod today. Um, you know, cause I'm not going to bring that insight cat is. And I, uh, I might have just a different realm. Um, I come from a commercial personal training background. So big box gym, um, not nationally owned chain, like Parisi is a, a national license. Um, but the gym that I was a part of was locally owned, but it still was a big box with five locations throughout, um, Northern Vermont. Mm. So uh, a little different element. So I think our pitfalls may be different. Um, but I, what I really hope that the listener can get from this is how we overcame them and just strategies to overcome. Obviously, like if you can be aware of someone else's mistakes, someone else's outcomes, that's huge. But I think it's the strategies, um, that we share that helped us maybe come to realization or write the ship, so to speak. I think that that is, um, you know, going to be the big nuggets for people listening to this mm-hmm. talk. Um, Kat, do you want me to start or would you like to Yeah, start? go. No, okay. go ahead. So um, I have a few pitfalls because I never know how many people are going to bring. Um, and I think this one is, is pretty general and it's pretty practical. So I'm going to start with kind of maybe a lame pitfall, but it's something that uh, once I realized its impact, it definitely was one of those things where I was like, man, I wish I'd done this earlier. And that was to talk to an accountant earlier in my career, um, as someone who was a W2 employee, um, but also had 1099 opportunities, um, and had aspirations of growing, um, uh, my own personal brand, I guess you could say my own personal, um, you know, whatever business side hustle turned real hustle, whatever. Right. Um, I always thought I could do it on my own. I have a business background. Um, I, took classes in accounting, all of the things like that. But what I wish I had done, and I didn't do this until I bought a house, was talk to an accountant. Because then I had that first conversation was with my accountant. He looked at my previous year's tax return. And he goes, you, are you okay if I refile this? And I had, was like, yeah, I guess. And he actually saved me quite a bit of money through refiling. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized that the first five years of my career I probably lost more money in taxes and just bad taxes. And I don't even say like I lost money. I probably spent more money or didn't get as much money back in taxes back. As, mm-hmm. as I could have. And I was like, wow, yeah. I really wish I had done this. Like within the first year, like I get a job, yeah. I reach out to a tax account and say, hey, what should I be doing? How should I set this up? Um, but that is pitfall number one, not talking to a tax accountant or a CPA, whatever. Um, I actually, my guy is actually called an EA. He's an enrolled agent, um, which means he can file for me and he can represent me in court, but he is not a true blue licensed CPA. So I'm going to actually jump on that. So about a week ago, um, I had the honor of being uh, a presenter for the University of Illinois kinesiology class 
course, I don't know, three something, something for seniors on um, experimental learning and uh, basically working in the workforce of kinesiology and fitness. So I was a presenter for the day on, you know, the truth about getting a job, what you should expect and all this other kind of stuff. And I was harsh, man. I'm I was sure. Really harsh. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a cool world. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things though, that they wanted were what would you do all over again or better if you could go back in time. And my number one was take accounting in college because all of the people in this particular course were people with aspirations of opening up their own business, whether it's their own physical therapy clinic, their own gym, it doesn't matter. They all want to eventually work for themselves. So accounting is the biggest thing. So piggybacking on that as an owner now, because sometimes it's just really hard to just say, I'm going to go back to school and take accounting classes, is I wish I would have found the right payroll slash accounting firm earlier in my gym's life span. I only added a payroll service four years ago. I used to process payroll all by myself for all those years. Oof, and yeah, yeah. And not to mention, it's not something I'm good at, Yeah, uh, which is why I wish I would have taken accounting. So if you are an owner or you have um, kind of a directorship over a facility and your owner's not involved, you have to find a payroll service that knows how to support your business. And what I mean by that is, while there's a ton of payroll services out there, you want a payroll service that helps you with kind of just smaller things that are valuable when it comes to looking at profitability. For example, in my payroll service, I'm able to code out the various types of payroll. So payouts for team training, payouts for birthday parties, payouts, and I can segment that and then compare it to total revenue generated in that area. So for those three C-speed schools who do team training and pay out a team training rate fee percentage, if you ran a report in your system on team training revenue for the year or the quarter, it's nice to know what percentage of that revenue went to payroll. So now you can start looking at when it's time to increase prices. And if you're doing, you know, are you giving raises at the right time? Are you giving too many demos away for free? So that's one criteria that I think is very helpful to know if you're going to go with a payroll service. And it has changed my business drastically. Um, so that was a pitfall in that I just wasn't really good at it. And it took me a really, really long time to add it. And now in crisis, you know, I think everyone can agree. I, I know very few people who would not, who would disagree with me that at some point over the last 18 months, we've been in some state of crisis. Um, hopefully it hasn't lasted for 18 months. You know, you have pitfalls, right? You have ups and downs. Having that type of support system helps you with now all these different programs that are out there. So whether it is grants, whether it's loans, whether it's um, tax refunds that are available, it's just absolutely impossible to know all that by yourself. 
So without the accountant and then the payroll service people, you, the accountants, you pay so much money for them to produce the reports that the payroll services already create. So most payroll services already have a formula in their system to produce a report, for example, for PPP. Whereas I have friends that their accountants are doing all the accounting math, but they're paying an hourly rate for that. Whereas payroll services are already creating these reports for their small business clients. So that's something that I feel had I continued to manage the accounting portion the way I was for the first 15 years, I would not, I don't think I would be open right now because it's all these programs that have actually helped me figure out how to stay open. And it's funny, that's, you know, I alluded to, like, it's one thing to open a gym. It's another thing to keep it in business. And Mm -hmm. the management of money is so important, but it's not necessarily what anyone in this industry gets into business for, right? Like, I think people get into business, one, they, they want to work for themselves, two, they just, and this is a separate thing, even though it sounds very similar, they don't want to work where they're currently working, and right. three, they, they, and I, I feel like it's, this is probably the simple literation of it, but it can be different, is they have something unique to offer, right, like, and it's trying to get to that point of having something unique to offer, but uh, managing cash, you know, it seems so uh, simple, but yes, mm-hmm. it is so important. But you said one thing in there, Kat, and I think I wanted to bring it back to the surface because it is, it's not necessarily a pitfall that I I came about because it's, you know, I've, as a personal trainer in a, in a commercial setting, it's not necessarily something that I have to really worry about because I can be pretty one-track minded. You mentioned that, um, and I, I forget the exact way you said it, but you said, um, you know, like a skill that you weren't good at right? Like mm-hmm. it was just like payroll and accounting. It was a skill that you weren't good at. And I, I wish that for myself, and it's something that I am way more in tune with now, as I get further in my careers, if I'm not good at it, I am so quick to find something or someone or a software automation or something that can do that skill better than me. And I feel yeah. like a lot of people, and I am going to generalize here, which isn't necessarily the right thing to do, but for a lot of people, it's coming to realization that, hey, I'm not good at this. I don't want to be good at this. So I should find someone who is good at this that mm-hmm. can complement my abilities. And I feel like that's just something that I wanted to highlight because it is so true, whether it's yeah. payroll accounting or if it's if you're a business person trying to train, maybe it's that's not it. Or if it's a trainer trying to run the day-to-day operations of your business and that's not it, trying to offload those skills to someone who yeah. it, it, it is something they're good at is so valuable. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that counting is one of those broad stroke things that you can pretty much say to almost anyone that even if it is your forte, once you get onto a point of the operation or the development of your business, you, you really have to kind of hand that piece off. You know, short of, you know, you've got people who are business owners and their spouse is an accountant or a CPA, you know what I mean? But for the most part, you know, this is a piece of the puzzle that really is too time consuming to bog yourself down with. And it's probably something you should be outsourcing in some way, shape or form at some point within the ownership or operation of the business, even if you are good at it it's not a good use of time. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's 
that's my opinion on it. Uh, and it's really hard to be good at it moving forward. So like you took, you have a business degree and everything, but like, are you really, like, let's just say you had some accounting and you were really good at it early on. The tax laws and all the programs out there. Always change changing. And more. Yep. So unless Absolutely. you're staying up on that, even if you're good at it, there's no way you know how to maneuver, you know, not only laterally, but forward with accounting as it applies to your business because you're not up on all the different programs. You know, so that's the same thing. Like our industry, you know, we're a very scientifically based, research-based driven system as far as how we make big blaring changes even in our curriculum. I'd much rather be focused on that and staying up on that because it applies to my favorite part of the job, which is the training and the program directing and things like that, than worry about like, now what are they saying about PPP? Right. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to read anymore about it. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, like, I'd rather just pay somebody else to tell me what to do. Right. Uh, Kat, I have another pitfall, but I'm wondering if you have a pitfall you'd like to share. Um, pitfall is not the right word. Okay. Challenges. Sure. Um, I do think that motherhood and owning a business is really challenging. Uh, yes, I actually, I'll let you finish actually, then I'll say my thing. And it's a really, really crappy thing to think about, but if you're a very active mother, it's very hard to see your business grow at the same time. And I found that as hard as I tried, if I could go back in time, I wish I would have, I would tell myself in 2007, 08, that work a little less hard on your business because you're not going to grow anyway. Now, I'm not saying all women are going to face this obstacle. But I found that when I went through a business program, I actually applied to a business program, um, which I did overlapping kind of discovering Parisi. And then in the business program is where I realized I wanted more. And then I bought the Parisi. Um, they made you do this exercise, which was like taking a knife and stabbing it in my heart. It was so unbelievably emotional for me. They took these big sheets of paper like you would on an easel. And we put them on the windows because it was in, um, in, in downtown Chicago, a lot of our colleges are in high rises. So you can see through the paper, okay? And we took our graph of our gross receipts over time and business, and you had to draw it on the paper, right? And then everybody had it on the paper that was in the program. So you could see like growth, growth, nothing, nothing, a little down, a little up, a little down, a little down. And then you took a life event based on the same years in business and you had to graph your life event. And every single birth of a kid, my receipts in my business, and I never saw it from this perspective, had like decreased significantly. And then you had a rate like how you felt about your business and then you layered that on top of it. And it was just really, it was rough, man. I remember I went home and I cried that 
you know, here's this horrible thing that like, I should have never been running my business while having babies. And I think really what it was is I should have changed my expectations or changed my support system or done something different. Cause it wasn't that I wasn't showing up for work. I was showing up for work, but I was just so unsuccessful in growing my business. So it was like in this really prime four years that the industry was just profitable. Uh, the fitness industry was growing. The economy was great. I wasn't able to take advantage of that because, you know, I just, even though I worked, it just, you know, it just wasn't a success for me. So that's something that was um, a very big obstacle in that I didn't really, where I thought I had prepared myself for children while working and teaching, I really should have done more restructuring, despite the fact that I felt like I had a support system. So that's something that I definitely felt was a pitfall. I didn't know it was a pitfall until I went through this business program, but it really, it was a major eye opener for me. I, I distinctly remember when my daughter was born, going back to work after a couple of weeks and managing a business, like managing a couple of departments in a, in a big gym and not even having like the financial like skin in the game. Right. I was just like a, a mid-level manager and talking to a couple of our trainers that were moms. And I'm like, how, how do you do this? Like, how are you doing this? Because it is, and I'm, and I, as a father, like I'm not feeding the kid. Like I'm not, you know, I just don't have the same parental responsibilities yeah. uh, with the baby. And I just was so blown away. And it was just one of those where I don't, I have so much credit, give so much credit and so much appreciation. And just, I just, it's amazing how mm -hmm. moms get it done. Right. Like it's this whole idea of like mom strong and like moms have superpowers. Like when you really look at what goes into and anyone listening to this pod, like you're probably shaking your head being like, uh, hell yeah, Casey, like it is, it's impressive. And like, yeah, you don't have kids or you don't, you know, you're, you're someone you're having kids in the future or whatever. Like it is, it changes everything. And um, yeah, the holding pattern is very real. Like when you have a kid, you have a, or any big life event, I would think, um, you know, kids being the only big life event I've encountered, like, like bunker down for six, six to 12 months and just go into a strong holding pattern and just yeah. get it done and go on from there. And like you're saying, the expectations are very real and tempering them is very important. Yeah. And I'll be honest, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying other women haven't done better. I'm sure there are women out there that have, have done great with it. And I think the difference is I got the, di I got the list done. So whatever was on the list, I got it done, but my business didn't grow. It, it shrunk almost, you know, um, it was just a period of time where there were just tons of band-aids. And I wish I would have better understood that going into that phase of my life that because, you know, when you're pregnant, at least you have a lot of time to kind of plan, you know, for things. And I wasn't planning for how or who or the strategy to keep the business growing, even if it was a small amount of growth mm -hmm. over time. Whereas I was like, oh, I'll, I'll get it all in. 
and I did, I got it in. It's like, check, 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 check. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're growing your business. So that, that's something that I would definitely do completely different if I went back in time. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. It's, um, yeah, that's a good, I like the challenge and then the hindsight, how you can plan different. That's a good nugget there for definitely women listening to this podcast um, expecting parents listening to this part of the podcast, like absolutely something to take into consideration and maybe re-listen to that last 10, 10 ish minutes of, of conversation yeah. there. Um, another one that I've got cat, and this is, I think something that plagues everyone at various points. It, I'm not saying like when I was younger, I, I still to this day am plagued by this, but I have a better realization of it. And it's how to aggregate, maybe not aggregate, but how to apply new education. Um, and what to do with it, right? Because early on in my career, it's like, okay, you get certified as a trainer. It's like, what's the next thing? And now I find myself, I'm like, okay, do I want another thing? And I'm like, well, yes, it's good perspective and it's good to you know learn about different systems and operations and training methodologies and everything. And, and then it's like, okay, now what do I do with this information? What do I do with this education, this newfound experience, this newfound education? Um, but specifically the challenge that I'm talking about referring to early on in my career, it's like, okay, you learned something now, what do I do with it? Um, and it's, it's one of those that I wish on no one, but it does happen specifically in our industry where people become certification happy, or they think more certifications will equal more opportunity or more money, or maybe that's the case. Um, oftentimes I find that it's probably not the case, but this idea of what do I do with this education and how do I apply it is definitely a, a challenge or pitfall that I, I found early in my career where I was doing a lot of certifications. I had no idea what to do with them afterwards. Um, and what I ended up really learning was it's important to have mentors and it's important mm -hmm. to have peers and colleagues that you can trust, um, like that you basically can trust to tell you if you're being an idiot or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, or if you're, if you're going too far one way or, or they, they have the gohonies so to speak to question mm -hmm. what your actions are you know like yeah. mentors will give it to you straight but not always will your peers and colleagues give it to you straight um you know people who are on maybe like the same same trajectory as you or same career path but that's something that um it helped me overcome you know the feelings of like what do i do when i could ask because it was someone who had been there or if it's someone that i trust being like should i really be doing this like is this even worth me applying or learning or something like that? And without naming names of certain certifications and systems um, yeah. that are not Parisi related, um, sure. it was huge for me. So I, I think that that's a really valid um, acknowledgement. I mean, I actually haven't heard somebody bring this point up in all the round tables and, and, and things that I've ever participated in. I would say a couple things. You have to have a long game in mind and not a short game. Mm. So when you make that transition into a career, um, even if you're not sure it's your 30-year career, but it's your 10-year career, uh, this is what you want to do, you have to have the short game in mind. I do think there's a tremendous amount of value in getting additional certifications. But if you're not in a place to absorb the information of that certification, um, it's probably time to pause on this. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. They're not necessarily in like a, a priority order, 
Long game is really important. There's going to always be times in our life where we're given an opportunity to get like training and certification, but we may not be ready for absorbing it. You should still take it. Knowing that one day you might go back and take it again when you're more in a place to absorb and be a sponge. I was really, really fortunate that because I presented on the conference scene in fitness, IDEA, ECA, uh, the Sarah City Manias, every time something new came out, they needed people in these certifications. I was there in the first BOSU certification, the first kettlebell certification, um, Liebert Bar certification, TRX certification. I'm talking like at Idea World. And they would basically ask a bunch of the promote, uh, presenters, hey, we've got spots in this. And I always volunteered to be in it. That doesn't mean I implemented everything at the same time. I used it as a way to kind of do my R&D. And then when I was ready to kind of apply it, I was always willing to go and kind of redo that layer of certification. So I had the long game in mind, but like, um, you know, like for a long time, I played with the Raptor, but I never bought the Raptor. I had a vert board. I went through the Raptor. I did the advanced speed training with Parisi in Arizona five years ago or something, knowing I wanted the Raptor. I did the whole day training, but I knew I wasn't ready for it. And then when I got my Raptor, I actually, even though I've been working then on the Raptor and vert boards for a while, I threw and went through the Vertimax certification uh, this past, earlier this year, because it helped me to pull it all together. So that, that, that's one thing that sometimes it just, you have to wait for it to come around. If you're part of the Precy network to answer this question, you are, absolutely in a great position because of the number of mentors you have. You have to have people who you can go to uh, and you have to find and put the time in to find the individuals that you feel you click with so that you can learn from them, but not necessarily all at once, but in small doses. And that's back to that long game. So while you want it all sometimes at one time, you have to be willing to donate your time for free to learn from others, even though you think that, you know, you should be paid to uh, teach that class. Let's say you're accomplished as a trainer, and now all of a sudden you want to move into teaching the elite strength program, but you've never really applied it yet. You have to go spend time under somebody that teaches it really well for free, in my opinion, and be mentored by that person. In theory, you should learn way faster than somebody that's never even done strength training before so that you understand how to apply something that you know to a whole new modality and application of training. That's the one thing I've definitely found young people are not willing to do right now. They come out with a Kines degree. They've been a personal trainer for X amount of years and they just think, oh, they might look at our, our program and it's an elite program of strength and they just think like they got it because they read deadlifts. They don't get all the in-between. And there, there is a slightly different way in which we run a strength training class because it's got a different perspective in mind versus strength training for a fitness goal 
strength training for a performance goal, it doesn't matter that the, that the movements we use are the same movements. We all know that it's all about the way in which you sequence movements that make programs different, you know? Uh, so that, that's what I would say about education, adding certifications, play the long game, be willing to be mentored by someone for free, and then put the time in to learn how to apply it. Don't just assume you know it because you do something similar. You know, like I would never show up to a track and field course and be like, I already know this stuff. A skip, yeah, gotcha. B skip, got it. A march, like as if it's just that, you know what I'm saying? There's a different type of application of those movements that are specific for that. And that's something, and one day I will do that. One day I will go for free on my, or go and not expect to get paid and ask a track and field coach, like, hey, coach. Can I just audit your practices? Can I just learn from you? No matter how much time I have in this industry, if I want to learn more about that, I have to be willing to be humble. And I know it's a long-winded answer, but I've always been very good at that. And I always explain to people in the martial arts world, I have been a professional white belt my entire career. You know, I have four black belts. So to get a black belt and then be like, you know what, I'm going to go learn a new system and to walk in knowing you have a black belt and something else and put a white belt on and like go through every single incremental test over and over again. That's what I'm saying. You have to be humble and start from scratch. If your progression is faster than the average person, great. And it should be, but at least you're showing that you have the humility to start as a white belt regardless of what you know. In fact, you should be a better learner. You should learn more going through it. And now you have more questions to ask. Ah, that's so that's good. my answer. That's good. I like, I, there's a lot of good things in there to unpack, but what I do appreciate and totally resonate with is no matter, like, if you think you're that good, you should just be that much better as a learner, right? Yeah. Like take it one step further. Don't just like, there's entitlement but if you go past mm-hmm. entitlement, it's appreciation. And I feel like, like we talked about, like a lot of particularly younger people come out and they're like, I think that they just have been in this trajectory of like, I've done this. I've worked hard for this. I've worked hard for this. I've got my degree. I'm ready to go. And it's almost like they're so excited in a way mm-hmm. that they come off with these arrogance. Yeah. Arrogant and entitlement. Whereas mm-hmm. like, if you can go one step further and be like, I just, I appreciate this opportunity. I'm ready to learn and I'm ready to dive in although you may not get the instant satisfaction that they are looking for the long-term mm-hmm. satisfaction and long-term gratification, which you've alluded to like having a vision. Um, we talked about that in the first group chat podcast a lot, um, how that was kind of a reoccurring theme. It, it just kind of plays into all of the positive uh, positivity that we have in our careers long-term. And I re- that was mm-hmm. a good answer. Like, I'm not going to add too much to that because I think if anything, people should push the little rewind button, maybe three, four minutes and just listen to the back half of Catalan's answer there, because, you know, you peel back the onion just a little bit more than I did. And I really appreciate that answer, Kat. I think that um, it brings some really good nuggets to those listening. Cool. I do want to be mindful of your time and I do have to jet to another appointment here, but Catalan, we're going to have to do this again because I enjoyed the conversation. Um, Where can people find out more about you and Pal? Sure. It's just powjimchicago.com, P 
P-O-W, Jim, Chicago.com. And then our Instagram handles are Pow Jim and Chicago Parisi. So very easy to find me off Instagram. Um, and hopefully you like what you see. You'll get a good glimpse of our adult program. And then of course our Parisi program, which um, is just awesome. Because Parisi is awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on, Kat. You got it.